Thank you, Ryan. So, I've told you before, sometimes the sermons that I'm working on, I can really tell that our spiritual enemy doesn't like this message. <laughs> and I've felt that. I've felt that pressure. I, I, I see all the distractions that are trying to distract me from teaching on this subject. So I, I just would say to you today, just, just say a little prayer to yourself. And just say, God, give, give me ears to hear today. Speak to me today. What do you want me to learn from your word today? Help me to accept these truths and be willing to change. So we're going to talk about judgment for the judgmental today as we start Romans chapter 2. Now in Romans 1, where we left off, let me set you up for this. We, the end of Romans 1, Paul paints this striking picture of rebellion against God. He talks about how debased men and women, meaning they're warped in their sinful minds, they have rejected God, they have abandoned God, so God abandons them to the consequences of their sin. And it's a very intense subject. And we saw that people who reject God, their thinking is upside down and they don't even know it yet they think they are right Um, we saw that men and women are upside down in their idolatry that they they were instead of worshiping the creator who created all things they worship the creation and created things it's upside down and they get ripped off we saw that they are upside down in their immorality that that men are now lusting after men women are lusting after women and so we saw people are just upside down in a society that rejects God and we saw they're upside down in their impulsivity Paul gave these like 20 words of selfishness and hatred and all these things that a man who rejects God, he becomes this way and he can't even think straight. You know, there's so many illustrations you could give in our society today. I think, I think one upside down would, would be how people are so extreme to protect turtle eggs, yet little babies in a womb sucking their thumb. You can see a 3D picture of this cute little baby, they are not protected. In some states, wolves are protected, but little babies aren't protected. This is is upside down in people's thinking. But you can't tell anybody this. You can't debate anybody on this because people are lost. So the only way they would be able to change their thinking, they would have to be transformed in their mind through the power of the Holy Spirit through the power of the, of the Word of God. I don't know if you all saw this, but in Montana, Montana, during uh, the midterm election, they had on, on the ballot in Montana was if a baby 
would be born alive somehow through a botched abortion should the doctor give the baby medical treatment. Because the big issue is, if you're inside the mother's womb, you have no rights. But once you're outside of the womb, you should be given rights. And therefore, a doctor could get in big trouble if he doesn't save the baby. So they had to put this on the ballot. And the good people of Montana voted, do not save the baby. Do not give it medical attention. So the fact that that's on the ballot tells me we are at the end. We are at the end. People are upside down in their thinking. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So now I'm going to set you all up. Because some of you are thinking, it's about time somebody says something about these people. It's about time that somebody calls these people out these bad, sinful people. So then Paul goes to another group that's going to face the wrath of God. And here's who, who, he, who he refers to. Let's read it, Romans 2. Now remember, when the Bible, when Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, there were no chapters, there were no verses. It was just one letter. So chapter 2, it's just a continuation Paul's just going to look at another group of people. And here's what he says. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you will judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself On the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I call these verses hypocrisy killers. (laughs) Hypocrisy killers. What Paul is telling us this, not only do the rebellious of this world need the gospel, but the religious need the gospel as well. Not only do the pagan Gentiles doing all these things need the gospel, but so does the religious Jew. And that's what he's going to get at in chapter 2. And I think we as a church sometimes, we fit into that category. And we say, yeah, we need to get those people. Judgment needs to come to those people. Something needs to be done. 
but yet we refuse to see the sin in our own life. And somehow our sin is better than them. So we're going to see, Paul is talking about the person who is religious and thinks he is righteous in God's eyes. And he's going to talk about the moralist. We have a lot of that. I would say that's the biggest cult in the United States of America. The moralist cult. And this is the people who believe because they have good morals, they are better than everybody else. The moralist who says, hey man, I don't need to go to church. I'm a good person. The golf course is my sanctuary. The Gulf of Mexico is my church. I don't need this Jesus stuff. That Jesus stuff, yeah, Frank, you need to hit those very sinful people with that stuff and try to fix them. But it's not for me because I am fine the way I am. And this is... This, this self-righteousness, to me, it could be the worst sin. Because a sinner, and this is why people fought, the people, the sinful people flocked to Jesus. Because they saw their sin. They saw that they needed a Savior. They saw someone that was coming and embrace them and love them, even though they were sinful, so he could save them from their sin and help them overcome their sin. But the self-righteous, the religious, they despised Jesus because they didn't need it. So we all need to look at ourselves this morning. And even when we believe in Jesus, we in the church can battle self-righteousness because we have a Bible and the Bible is filled with good morals and as we we learn to obey those morals and we begin to change in our life all of a sudden we see ourselves as the obedient good people and everybody else is the bad people and we are in danger of self-righteousness that can bring we bring judgment upon ourselves and obviously Christians there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus but we bring the discipline of God on ourselves when we are self righteous so it's an important subject let's look at verse 1 Paul says therefore you have no excuse o man every one of you who judges For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the same things. I like that he says, oh man. What does that mean? Does that mean women are off the hook? (laughs) Uh, Oh man, oh mankind. And oh you, man in mankind, who is a sinful man, who are you? Think about it. The Bible is very clear. There is only one judge. And His name is God. His specific name is Jesus Christ who will be the judge. There's only one judge. So when we make ourselves the judge, 
Who are we making ourselves? God. We are now God. We are now better than everybody else. So we are going to pass judgment on others. Paul says, you are without excuse. You condemn yourself when you judge others. And he says, because you do the same things. Now, what does he mean by that? Because because the religious Jews, they didn't have a problem with homosexuality. So, so how could Paul say they, the Jews were doing the same things as the pagans? He's not talking about the sinful things they did with their hands. He's talking about the sinful things they did with their heart. And that's why Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said to the Jewish crowd there, you have heard it said, you have heard it said in the Old Testament, that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. So Jesus says, you guys are bragging that you've never committed adultery. But you've covered up your sin with your religion and you have adulterous heart. Man, the Pharisees hated Jesus because he exposed them. Because they wanted everybody to think they were so wonderful, but Jesus could see into their heart and he saw their lust and he saw their lust for other women. And they looked down on sinful women. They looked down on prostitutes. But in their own hearts, they were lusting after women. And Jesus exposed this when he taught them about divorce because he says, you guys... These religious leaders were divorcing their wife one after another. They went from woman to woman to woman. As soon as a woman burned the toast, they divorced her and got a new woman. Why? Because they could give them a certificate of divorce that Moses permitted. So in their hypocrisy, they got a legal divorce. And Jesus says, no, you're committing adultery. You're just going after one woman after a number with your evil lust and disguising away, looking for a loophole in your self-righteous religion. So this is scary stuff. And they were blind to it. So that's what he's talking about. Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not murder. And they bragged, we never murdered anybody, so we're the good people. Jesus said, if you called somebody a fool, you have a murderous heart, and you're in danger of the fires of hell without a savior. So, and I know sometimes you hear people say sin is sin. And in a sense, yes, sin is sin because we're all sinners. We 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 sin. And we're all lumped in. And so everybody needs a savior. But some sins do have more consequences. So don't be deceived by that. I mean, if somebody cuts me off on the highway and I get out and rage and hatred, you fool, you idiot. Jesus is saying, I'm showing I've got murderous in my heart. But if I calm down and go home, there's going to be less consequences for me than if I pull out a gun and shoot somebody that pulled out in front of me. Because I'm going to go to prison for life. So don't think that 
certain sins don't have more consequences. And yes, they have more consequences even in the next life. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the point is, we all have sin in our heart. So, Paul is saying, we do the same things. We do it in a different way. So the Jews weren't sinning the same way as the the pagan Gentiles were, but in their hearts, they were just as sinful. You know, we, uh, whenever you point your finger at somebody, remember there's three other fingers pointing right back at you. You got more fingers pointing at you than you're pointing at someone else. And that that and this is what Paul is saying here. So an illustration would be a pagan worships idols, idolatry. And the Jewish religious person would make fun of them and go, how could they serve these pagan gods? Man, their idolatry is appalling. But yet they worshipped their religious goodness. Their goodness became an idol. That's what made them feel good. The pagans, what made them feel good are these idols dedicated to drunkenness and, and, and immorality and sexual sin. That's where those gods, and the Jews despised that. But what made them feel good was their God of self-righteousness. Look at me. And that was idolatry too. And that's what Paul means. You're doing the same things, but in a different way. And you are going to be held accountable without a Savior unless you turn to the good news of the Gospel. Verses 2 and 3. He says, We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you... You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? People don't like talking about the judgment of God. It's a subject that makes us squirm in church, doesn't it? And people don't want to hear about it. They would rather just ignore it. But the judgment of God is coming. Paul says, no one will escape the judgment of God. I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom, but a courtroom is very intimidating. Intimidating, okay? There's something about it. I've been in a courtroom on both sides. I've been in a courtroom in handcuffs, and I've been in, a, in the courtroom years later as a character witness. And it's just very intimidating. It's a powerful thing. Wondering what, what is the judge going to decide. And you can feel the intensity of the person standing before the judge. What is the judge going to do? And those of you, you know how I make fun of that, how your cell phone, your cell phone goes off? One day I was there as a character witness and the judge came out and I was there with a young man. I coached him in Little League, Pop Warner football. He'd been to youth group. He got in some trouble, so he asked me to come to court with him in case the judge would want a character witness. 
And I was in there, and they, they immediately silenced your cell phone. We, we need those guys in court because they'll come confiscate your cell phone. That's what we need around here, you know. The bailiff comes in, and he stands up, turn them cell phone off. And, and, you know, I immediately, hey, I'm one of the good people. I'm turning my cell phone off. So I, I silenced my cell phone, but as I was silencing it, in my old age, I hit some button. I don't even know how. It, it, it must have been some app or something. And the craziest rap music you could play in the world going off as loud as my phone can go. And I don't even listen to this kind of music, okay? I don't even know how it was on my phone. And the kid that I was there as a character witness looked at me like, you're not helping me. And I couldn't shut it off, so I ran, I ran outside, embarrassing. Finally figured it out. And you know, I walked back in there. The bailiff looked at me. He looked like Sheriff Buford T. Justice from the old uh, Smokey and the Bandit. Just shook his head at me like. It's intimidating, man. Courtroom is it's a somber thing, and I'm gonna tell you, people have no idea of the courtroom that's coming. The courtroom of God that's coming. And you will not escape it. And the worst thing you could do is be judgmental. Because God will judge you based on how you judged others. we got to read, having these verses, we got to read what Jesus said in Matthew. Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. For, it were, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. The measure you judge others that you don't like, that you look down on, that the people that you think are worse than you. The judgment you give them, God is going to bring that back on you. You know, Christian, some of you going through things in your life, going through some hard trials, going through some discipline, things are just happening in your life. Do you ever think, maybe, because you've been self-righteous, you've been judgmental, and God is bringing discipline in your life to break you, to humble you from that pride of being self-righteous and judgmental. It should scare every one of us to death. And I wanna, I will, I'll say to you, if you knew, and we all got to watch nowadays because they got cameras everywhere, Everybody's recording you. They're recording. The doorbell's recording you. Okay? Everywhere you If you knew, if you knew that you were being recorded, would you watch what you say? You are being recorded. You're being recorded by a recorder that cannot be destroyed. It's God's recording. And it's going to be played back. Men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. 
So we need to be careful. Verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now a speck in your eye, a splinter in your eye, can be very irritating. You ever had a speck in your eye? Man, it's miserable. But you need somebody to help get that speck out. So Jesus isn't saying we shouldn't help those that have a sinful problem in their life. We shouldn't confront it. We shouldn't try to help them overcome that. But what he's saying is, you got to get the log of self-righteousness out of your eye first or you're not going to be able to help them because your log of self-righteousness is worse than that splinter that you're looking down on. So this is so important. You know, because we dealt with the subject of homosexuality, chapter 1, um, I talked to a homosexual man uh, one time. He was passing through town. And it was a man battling homosexuality. He, uh, he came to church and he filled out one of the cards and put his phone number. So I called him and I met with him down at, down at the church. I met with him down at Sable Street. We know that building down there. And so I don't know, whatever, whatever. I can't remember what the sermon was that day. For some reason, this guy felt that he could talk to me. He felt like he could confess his sin to me. He felt like maybe, I don't know if he was thinking, maybe I was so gracious that I was going to tell him it's okay what you're doing. Or maybe, you know, it did seem that he was really looking for help, but yet he didn't know what to do. And so he confessed to me, he confessed to me that, that when he was in college and he got so drunk one night that he ended up having a relationship with another man, a homosexual fling, an overnighter. And he said that was basically it in his life. But ever since that happened, he found that he had this lust for homosexuality. He was a married man. He had kids. I said to him, do you love your wife? Do you love your kids? And he said, yes, I do. And I pleaded with him. I said, you've you got to get a hold of this. It's, it's going to destroy your family. It's going to destroy your life. He told, me, he told me he rides down the road. He rides down the road looking in car windows, looking for another man that might look back at him in his lust. And I think this is what Paul was saying in chapter 1. When you go down that road, this, this is a, a sin. that It's, it's lust. It's a, I don't even understand that sin. But I'm telling you this story because when I talked to the man, I wasn't condemning toward him. I wasn't judgmental toward him. I told him that what he's doing is wrong and he needs Jesus to help him. And I tried to see, are you really a Christian? And he answered all the questions right. So he seemed to be a Christian, but yet he was battling 
with this lust. And I told him, I said, just, just as I, when I became a Christian, I had to battle heterosexual lust by putting scriptures into my mind that would get into my heart, praying about it, asking God to take these lusts away. I told him the same way you have to do that with your lust that you're experiencing. You're going to have to go to the Word of God. You're going to have to memorize scriptures. You're going to have to take this to God and pray on it because if you keep, if you keep giving into your lust without dealing with it, it's going to overtake you. That's why Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, you better gouge it out. And, he, and that was hyperbole, I hope you know. You gouge out your right eye, you'll sin with the left eye. But it was like, spiritually, you've got to better cut this out of your life, because if you don't, it's going to get you. But I would have never been able to help that brother with a speck in his eye if I had a self-righteous plank in my eye and if I thought my sin was better than his. You see the illustration? We cannot judge people as though their sin is worse than our sin. This is what the Scripture is telling us. Look at verse 4. Paul continues on and he says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Paul's saying, do you take for granted the kindness of God? I mean, do you, do you realize the kindness that God has given you? Do you realize this courtroom that we're all going through is so intense? And do you realize the kindness that God has given us? We're about to celebrate Christmas. That God would come to this sinful planet and become like us. Not sinful, but become a human being and deal with us sinful human beings to save us from our sin. And when we're judgmental, when we're self-righteous, we miss the kindness of God. Those of us who have sinned a lot in, in your life, like me, man, I see the kindness of God. I'm just glad I'm getting through the door of heaven. Do you realize? Or have you not seen it? Because you're self-righteous. You know, in the story of the prodigal son, Jesus told. He told that parable about the prodigal son because the Pharisees were judging Jesus because they said he welcomed sinners. Who is Jesus, this Jesus guy? How could he be from God when he's, he's hanging out, eating and drinking with all these sinners? And Jesus told him those parables about how God came to save sinners. And he tells the story of the prodigal son and how the prodigal son takes the family inheritance and he goes off and he squanders it in wild living. The elder brother pointed out he squandered it with drunkenness and prostitutes. 
But in his wild rebellion, he hits rock bottom. He comes to his senses. And he realizes how kind his father was to him. So he sees the kindness and he goes back to the father. And boy, does he see the kindness because the father welcomes him back into the family. It's a picture of a sinner that comes to God and God welcomes. God will welcome you as a sinner because he's a good, good father. He's a kind father. Do you see his kindness? A lot of times we don't tell the rest of the story. The older brother was upset. The older brother was upset that his father would welcome his brother. That the father would give him a party. He was so upset. All these years I've been doing what's good. You don't give me no party. Look at all the good I've done. And my brother who squanders all of his money, you welcome him and throw a party for him? And the father said to him, son, you, you've got every, everything I have is yours. You've got a party every day. I've been good to you every day. But he couldn't see the father's kindness. You know why? He was self-righteous. And Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, you're the older brother. You should be, you should be right here with me loving on these Jewish people that you call brothers and sisters. You should be helping them overcome their sin like I am. But you can't see the kindness of God because you're so self-righteous and judgmental. Jesus goes into a house of a, another Pharisee, self-righteous guy. When he's in the house, a sinful woman comes in no doubt a prostitute. And the sinful woman pours expensive perfume all over Jesus, crying with tears, worshiping Jesus because Jesus was here to, Jesus loved her. He didn't condemn her. He wanted to save her from her sin. And the Pharisee thought, you know, man, if this guy was a prophet, he would know how sinful this woman is. And in his self-righteousness, he despised the woman and he despised Jesus. He despised Jesus. He couldn't see how kind Jesus was in his self-righteousness. Jesus says this in that chapter. He says about that woman, he says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he is forgiven little, loves little. Underline that. He is forgiven little, loves little. I don't know who the most sinful person in this room is today. I would vote on me. <laughs> but I will tell you this. The more sinful you are, the more thankful you are that God saved you. And the more you love God back. But if you've been forgiven little because you really think you don't need to be forgiven because you're such a good American, such a good churchgoer, you've been religious, you're not like the rest of the 
crazy bad people in this world, like the people in Montana, right? And what happens is you don't worship God with all your heart. You don't love God because maybe you've never been forgiven. That's the point. And so we all need to ask ourselves, are we judgmental? Are we self-righteous? Are we trusting in our own goodness instead of knowing there's none of us good? Whether you're rebellious or religious or have good morals, we're all in the same boat when it comes to sin. And Paul is saying, I'm coming to Rome. The rebellious need the gospel and the religious need the gospel. Wherever you're at on that, wherever you're at in life, you need the gospel. And then the final verse says this, verse 5. This is really kind of just an introduction to this as Paul's going to deal with this, this how the religious and the moralist person because if you're trusting in the law, if you're trusting in the law, keeping the law, you did more good things than bad things. If that's what you're trusting in, that's what God's going to judge you on. That's scary. And He's going to show you every thought, every, every word, every sin. But verse 5 says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So Paul's saying, because of your pride, because of your self-righteousness, you don't see that you need a Savior. And all that self-righteousness, and, and all the way that you are judging others, you are storing up wrath for yourself. That's important. We tend to think, you know, I go to funerals and I hear people talking about heaven and, and, and everybody just, they don't read their Bible, so they just say stupid stuff, you know. Oh, the person is now an angel. They've got their angel wings. No, they're not. They're not an angel. Angels are angels. People are people. Oh, he's up there drinking whiskey. He's up there playing golf, drinking whiskey. No, he's not. No, he's not. Sorry. And some people, some people get the idea that you go to heaven and it's all the same. And if you go to hell, it's going to be all the same. No, it's not. No, it's not. Every person that goes to hell is going to receive a different judgment. They are going to receive an absolute, true judgment for themselves based on everything they said, everything they thought, and everything they did, God will righteously give them the judgment they deserve. Somebody said one time, the person in hell is, is, is wishing he did one less sin. Jesus said this, when he sent out, he sent out the apostles to preach the gospel. He sent them to Jewish towns. And he said, if they reject you, dust your feet off and move on. If they don't want to hear it. But then he says this, 
Truly I say to you, Matthew 10, 15, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. (coughs) Wow. Wow. (coughs) Almost done. Almost made it. Um, It'll be more bearable? So when the day of judgment, when they go to hell, uh, it's going to be more bearable for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than the, than the people in this Jewish town? Yes. Why? Because they're going to be held accountable because they, they had God's law. God gave them the Old Testament. People that, that have the Bible and, and know the Bible, the person brought up in a Christian family is going to be held to a tighter judgment more accountable judgment because they had the truth. Other people that don't hear the truth aren't going to be judged like that. The point is, as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah was, man, that story, they had, they had everything going on. Paul was talking about in chapter 1. But he says, it'll be more bearable for them. So think about that. Think about that. And of course, heaven... Heaven, the Bible says, even though there's no condemnation, we still gotta we still gotta stand before God and give an account. We won't be punished for our sins. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but we still give an account. Paul says you'll still suffer loss. If you've if you've been a selfish Christian, you're gonna suffer loss. So it makes a difference. Judgment day makes a difference even for a Christian. But for the non-Christian, wow. People have no idea what's coming. They have no idea what's coming. So here's the good news today as we close. The good news of the gospel, Paul says Jesus, here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus died for all the pagan idolatry going on in the world. All the crazy sexual immorality, however you want to define it, explain it. Jesus died for that. Jesus died for all the things people are thinking in their warped warped thinking brain and heart. Jesus died for them. And if those people come, Jesus will cover their sin. But here's the good news for us in here today. Jesus also died for our pride, our judgmental times, when we gossip. Jesus died for that. He died for our self-righteousness. Thank God. Thank God. And if you've been self-righteous, confess it today. And ask God to forgive you and cleanse you from it. May we become as a church more like Jesus and less like the Pharisees. Please pray with me. Pray with me and we'll close. It's intense stuff, I know. And, you know, this this is why we preach the Gospel. It's the good news. Paul's goal Paul's goal of preaching on this is not just to make you feel guilty if you've been judgmental. 
He wrote this so you would see the darkness of self-righteousness and turn away from it. That you would confess it to God and ask God to forgive you. So ask God today to, to, to make you more like Jesus. To be more forgiving. Hey, it works both ways, you know. Jesus said, if you're merciful to others, you'll get mercy back. Man, that's what I want. I want to be merciful to others because I, I want God's mercy and I need it every day. And if you were smart enough to know it, you need it too. You need it too. Heavenly Father, thank you for these powerful scriptures that convict us, God. Thank you that you're a gracious God and you don't leave us in our guilt over our sin. But we can bring our sin to you and you cover it up with your righteousness. On that cross, you shed your blood for every sin we've committed so that we will not be separated from you on the day we die or on the day you return, Jesus. Lord, cleanse us and purge us from our self-righteousness, from being self-righteous judges, so we can go out and help those who have a splinter in their eye of sin, and we can point them to their loving Savior, Jesus Christ. God, help us to realize the importance of Scripture, the importance of prayer. Because when we just think we can handle the day on our own, man, that, that's what gets us in trouble. That's what gets us all frustrated and angry and mad and self-righteous and judgmental. God, may we pursue You and Your beautiful righteousness. May we be kind like You. God, thank You for Your kindness. And because of Your kindness, God, we want to turn from our sin. And God, we want to sing to You now and worship You with thanksgiving in our hearts. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's worship the Lord as we close.